I'm thankful that you are all here together to worship and celebrate our Lord and Savior together. And for those of you tuning in from home, uh, we extend to you our Christmas greetings, and we hope and pray that you have a wonderful Christmas day as well, that you would experience the love and grace of our God. You know, the Christmas season is, uh, is, is a beautiful time of year. It's marked by, by generosity and the Christmas cards that we get and Christmas music and Christmas baking, all kinds of wonderful food that we get to eat together. It's also marked by all kinds of festivity, you know, such as you know, those work parties and, and uh, family gatherings and, and year-end bonuses, at least for those who get those. It's also a time of year where many people really like to deck out their place with all kinds of really festive lights and decorations. It's a time of year we like to give gifts to one another that are wrapped in all kinds of elegant uh, festive wrapping paper. You know, for some of you, Christmas is a joy-filled time of year. Now, all those controversial topics of the last couple of years, you kind of put those at the door, you go to your family gatherings, and you just enjoy the time together. But that's not the case for everyone. For some of you, Christmas can be a very difficult time. You feel the cold and the darkness in more ways than one. And for some of you, this may be the first Christmas since the death of a loved one, or maybe the first Christmas since a divorce. For some of you, Christmas highlights how alone you are or how you don't have the means to buy the gifts for people in your life that you'd like to buy gifts for. And so some of you will look at these festive decorations and the parties and the gatherings and you can hardly stomach it because what you feel is completely the opposite. You feel discouraged and depressed. And some of you are dreading that Christmas family gathering because you know that you're not going to get along. And I know, I know there's some among us as well who, who struggle with different health issues, some of them very serious. And maybe you're thinking, this might be my last Christmas or the last Christmas with my loved one. But what is so amazing about the Christmas story is how we see such hope in the midst of the darkness. The good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ is that regardless of our circumstances that you and I are walking through, you and I can be a people with great confidence because of who our God is and what our God has done for us. So in the message that I shared a couple of weeks ago, if you were here, uh, I shared about some of the difficult times that the Jewish people had endured in the couple hundred years before Jesus came. Now they were, the Jewish people, they were enduring all kinds of persecution. And during this time, there were a number of Jewish revolts and rebellions which led to a lot of people dying. And during those couple hundred years before Christ, every time a new revolutionary leader would arise, the people would think, is this the one who's going to rescue us? Who's going to save our people? But every time, people died and the rebellion was quashed. Now Luke, the author of the story that was just read for us in Luke chapter 2, he opens this passage by describing the political situation of the time. And so in these first couple verses, verses 1 to 3, we, we learn a couple of things. First we learn that this story is no myth 
It's no allegory. This story is anchored in history. During the reign of Caesar Augustus, while Quirinius was governor of Syria. But there's another subtle thing that Luke is communicating in these verses. While Caesar Augustus may be ruler of the land, our God is the ruler of the world. And he is orchestrating his will. And so the prophet Micah, he he spoke about how the Messiah would be born in Bethlehem. This was hundreds of years before Christ was born. And so listen to this. This this verse is from Micah 5 verse 2. But you, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from old, from ancient times. And so, God put it in the mind of Caesar Augustus to issue a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. And so, therefore, what does Joseph do? Well, he takes his pregnant fiancée, they travel 80 miles, to Bethlehem to register. Now I have read, I have heard, I have memorized this this Christmas story many times over the course of my life. But as I was thinking about this story, I was thinking about all those who struggle during this Christmas season. And I was thinking about how this journey must have been like for, for Mary and Joseph. What God asked this young couple to do was no easy task. In fact, it seems, like, it seems like nothing went easy for them. So here's this young teenage girl uh, who encounters an angel who shares with her that she would that she didn't have a baby. So this is the message. I mean, it just upends her life in seemingly every possible way. By the power of the Holy Spirit, this unmarried virgin would conceive and have a child. Now the ramifications would have been huge. Getting pregnant out of wedlock would have brought much shame to a Jewish family. She, would, she could have been stoned to death. Uh, she risked being rejected by her fiancé, by her own family. Not only that, but she also, this also would have affected her relationship with the whole community. Now, how many of you have ever felt offended when people have gossiped about you? You don't have to raise your hand. But I can tell you, they're from a small town. The gossip would have been flying around regarding this girl. Did you hear? Mary's pregnant. Looks like she's not so perfect as everyone thinks. Oh, did you hear? She, she claimed she saw an angel. And she claimed she didn't sleep around. Well, okay, promiscuous, a liar, and crazy. I can imagine her one desperate prayer. God, please, please let Joseph believe me. And I can imagine that gossip would have been one of the reasons why, why Mary would want to get out of there and go visit her relative Elizabeth, who also happened to be miraculously pregnant in her old age. And then there's Joseph. And Joseph, he was an honorable man. And after he heard the news that Mary was pregnant, his heart must have sank. And so he had in mind to break it off, to divorce Mary quietly and respectfully, but the Lord, which, which I'm sure was one of Mary's prayers, sent his angel to Joseph to tell him not to be afraid to take Mary to be his wife because this pregnancy truly was from the Lord. And so she would have faced that same gossip, he would have faced that same gossip and slander. That same stigma would have 
followed him as well, not just for the next couple of months, but for years to come. And what we see is that Mary and Joseph, they both had to decide. I can have an easy life, or I can have the Christ child in my life. And the story, I mean, it doesn't get any easier for them, this, for this couple who's carrying the Savior of the world. So the census has been called, and, and Joseph must travel 80 miles from Nazareth to Bethlehem with his pregnant fiancée. Now, we don't know how long they were there before Mary went into labor. All we know is that when they got to Bethlehem, there was no place for them to stay. Now, in a culture where hospitality was viewed as so significant and important, this is quite shocking that they could find no one to take them in, especially in the very pregnant state that Mary was in. And I can only imagine how they would have felt rejected by, by even extended family, likely because of their unmarried status. I remember the day uh, when my first child was born. Uh, it was an exciting and eventually a stressful day. Paige mentioned in the morning that contraction had, contractions had started. And I was pumped. I got out of bed. I was ready to go, only to be told, relax. It's going to be a few hours yet. Oh, didn't know. I should have known, I guess, because we took those classes and stuff. But anyways, 12 hours later, we finally went to the hospital. And my job was easy. All I had to do was get her there and offer whatever kind of basic support I, I could. Joseph. Oh, man. I can't, I can't imagine the stress that he would have felt. Because the day finally came when his fiancée went, when her tra contractions began. See, it wasn't his job to carry the Savior of the world, but it was his job to carry the one who was carrying the Savior of the world. And I can just imagine how many doors he must have banged on trying to find a warm place for them to have this baby who was coming very soon. There must have been plenty of rejection because nobody would have picked a stable as their first, their second, or their third choice. And I can just imagine the thoughts running through their heads as they went through all of these trials. God, you called us into this. Right? We said yes, but where are you now? We need your help now. Provide a warm place for us to stay because this child, this child from you is coming and we don't know what to do. Now scripture doesn't give us many details. If this was a novel, it'd be like really long and all kinds of details, but this is not what we have. But we see the faithfulness of God all over the place in this story. We speculate on how it happened. Somehow they found a warm place for Mary to have her baby. And it wasn't a clean hospital room uh, it wasn't their home. It wasn't a private guest room. It was a stable for the animals. A cave, most likely. And we know this because the child was placed in a manger, which would be a unique sign to the shepherds. Speaking of the shepherds, this was a group of people who were out in the fields nearby with their sheep watching over them. And they were considered to be an untrustworthy people. They were kind of like the social outcasts. They were dirty. Now, considering their living conditions, they would have been considered unclean, but God saw fit for them to share with them the most spectacular message that the world has ever heard. 
Let's read these verses again. This is Luke chapter 2, verses 8 to 12. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. Pause here for a second. I can assure you, if you had been the one to see this supernatural being light up the sky, terrified would be your first response too. Verse 10. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will bring great joy for all the people. Not just for the rich and privileged, not just for the Jews, but for the poor and the outcasts and the Gentiles. Good news of great joy for all the people. Today. Not tomorrow, not some vague time in the future. Today. In the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. And this will be a sign to you. You will find the baby, a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. And if that wasn't shocking enough, then the sky lit up with a choir of angels and praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. So the question I ask is, out of all the people in the world, why would God announce this message to the shepherds? Because this announcement was for them. This announcement was for the lowly, for the outcasts, for the downtrodden. This announcement was for all those who have been looked down upon, who are living in difficult circumstances. This announcement is for all those who struggle, who need help. In Luke 10, 19, verse 10, Jesus says, For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. That's why he came. And this announcement, it was for all people. Don't get me wrong. It was for all people, but specifically for those who need hope for those who have been longing and know their need for a Savior. And the sign to them was that this child would be born, would be lying in a manger. That the Savior Messiah would be lying in a manger. Not a king's palace, but a humble manger. Now if the message had been that the Savior was born and lying in a king's palace, I'm not convinced the shepherds would have looked for him as closely, as, as diligently as they did. Because they likely would have assumed that they wouldn't be allowed near this child anyways. But to hear that this Messiah was, was lying in a manger. Well, I mean, the, the humble circumstances communicate that this child was born for them. This Messiah had come down to them for them. The humble circumstances of our Savior's birth is something that, that Luke is highlighting in these verses. These humble circumstances, they communicate something very significant about who this Savior is and what this Messiah King would be like. You see, God often chooses to do His greatest work through people or things that we normally think of as weak or unimportant. To God, the nobodies are somebodies. Those we are prone to overlook are not overlooked by God. To God, each one needs to hear the good news. Each one needs to know that God loves them and has come for them. 
And we celebrate Christmas because it is the greatest day in the history of the world. It is the day that God came to us, the day he left his throne in heaven, entered time and space, and came to this peasant family, born in the most humble of circumstances. And he came to show us the heart of the Father, to show us his love. In John 3.16, a verse you all know, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. You know, people often think that the opposite of love is anger. But that's not the case. The opposite of love is indifference. It's not caring. For example, I love my kids. If I were to find out, if I were to find out that, that someone had hurt my kids, you better believe there'd be some anger. In fact, the most unloving thing I could do would just be indifferent, to, to not care about it. And when we look through the scriptures, we see how God, he has never been indifferent toward us. In fact, when we see the wrath of God on sin, we know that God is a God of love. He knows how sin so horribly affects his people. He knows how the enemy, the devil, is always inciting us toward evil and toward hurting one another. And so Jesus came into this world to show us his love and to save us, or to break that power of sin and death in our lives. God came down to destroy sin and death without destroying us. And Jesus did this by taking it upon himself. And it's at the cross where our Savior died for us that we see this love so profoundly. Jesus came to make a way for us to be saved, to reconcile us to God. And you know, when I think about Jesus, I mean, this is a guy who, our Savior, our God, he never shied away from the difficult stuff in life. Right? He came in humble circumstances, but he came and he spent time with the difficult people. He spent time with the sick and with the needy, with those who were overlooked, with those who had done all kinds of bad things. Whatever those bad things are, he spent time with the demon-possessed. Even the judgmental people, those who were trying to trip him up, eventually those who were trying to kill him. Not only that, but Jesus identifies with all those who are suffering injustice and unacceptance. See, Jesus and his parents, they knew what it was like to be refugees when they, when they fled to Egypt. They were a poor family. And Jesus would endure an unjust trial. And what's so amazing about our God is that our God gets his hands dirty. He entered our mess. He identified. When we read this Christmas story, we see how our humble God came to us in such humble circumstances, how he first revealed this good news to such a lowly people, and we know that he still sees the lowly and those struggling today. You know, there are so many people who are struggling. In the past couple of years, or sorry, past couple of weeks, I've heard about multiple suicides a few of which have touched our community. And my heart breaks for those who feel so hopeless that they feel like taking their life is their only option. And I know that there are many who are struggling through, through depression and, and mental illness. These past couple of years have not been kind to us. 
I also hear from people who, who feel rejected and hurt by family members. Two weeks ago, I was helping out at the, the, the food bank, and I was, we were delivering food hampers to, to various people for the annual Christmas, community Christmas. And I'm so thankful for the generosity of our community. Um, but I was sad to hear that there are more and more people every year who are needing to access the food bank. I also serve on the Alternative Justice Committee in our town, and we, we are a committee that deals mostly with first-time offenders who find themselves in trouble with the law for one reason or another. And through this, I, I hear about so many stories of, of brokenness, of people who, suffering trauma or feeling unwanted, people who have suffered, who struggle with substance abuse to cope with some of these problems. And what I've learned is that the world needs hope. People need love. They need to know that they are loved. You need to know that you are loved. You see, a person can only love as much as they feel loved. This is why so many people live in toxic relationships. How can you genuinely love someone if you don't feel love? Don't experience that love. And this is why Jesus came into the world. Jesus is the love of God made manifest to us. And we need to open our, our hearts and allow the love of God to pour in. See, all of us, we, we, have, we have wounds in our lives. We have hurts. And we all, we've all experienced some kind of suffering or rejection. And what we need to do is we need to rub the love of God into that suffering. You see, in the old days... If, uh, if you had a physical wound, what you would do is you would rub salt in it to keep it from festering. It's not something we recommend anymore, but that's what they used to do. They'd rub salt in their wounds. This is also the same for keeping meat. They would rub salt into the meat to keep it from going bad. But it's like that in our pain, in our suffering, in our rejection. We need to rub the love of God into our suffering, and into those wounds that we've experienced to keep them from growing and festering. So how do we do that? How do we rub the love of God into our, our wounds and our hurts, into those lies that we've been told, into our loneliness, into our difficulties? So here are two thoughts, two ways that we can do that. And the first one is to spend time in the Scriptures, to get to know our God. Preach that truth to yourself. See, read the life of Jesus and just see how he cared for the least of these, how he cared for the poor, how he cared for the sick, how he cared for all those who needed help. And know that this same risen Jesus sees you. He knows you. He loves you. Billy Graham, he tells this story of a time when the theologian Karl Barth was once asked at this uh, seminary gathering. He was asked, what is the greatest truth that has ever crossed your mind? All the seminary students were sitting on the edge of their seats to hear some great, profound, deep, complicated answer. Dr. Barth slowly raised his great shaggy gray head and he looked at the student and he said, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. The Apostle Paul says in Romans 5, verse 8, But God showed his great love toward us, 
by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. He didn't wait for us to get our lives all sorted out first. He came while we were still sinners. Let the message of Christ, let the message of Christmas, the truth of his word, resonate in your heart and your mind. Allow its truth to counter the lies you've been told and the wounds that you have held on to. Secondly, how do, how do we rub the love of God into our, our hurts, our loneliness, our difficulties? And I would say invest in a loving church community. See, the church, the, the, the people of God, we are not perfect. Like any family, we will occasionally hurt and offend one another. But God has designed the church to be the hands and feet of Jesus in this world. To be a place of healing and acceptance and of grace. And that is, what I hope, that, is, that is my hope and my prayer for, here, for us here at SUMC as well. And in my work on the Alternative Justice Committee, when we meet people who have gotten in trouble with the law, there is this thought that comes into my mind nearly every time. Oh, how I wish this person would humble themselves and invest in a church community. To let the church, to let God's people influence them let the church help and care for them, to let the church befriend them, to, to mold them, to shape them, to disciple this person. See, the truth is, one of the most practical ways that we experience the love of God is through God's people loving and caring for one another. And therefore, let us follow Christ as we reach out to one another. A person can only love as much as they feel loved. I think it's true. I remember the statement my seminary professor shared with the class one day. And he was talking about how his prayers for his kids and his grandkids had, had, had changed in recent times. He said he used to always just pray that his kids and grandkids would, would love God and love others. And this is a great prayer. This is a prayer that I pray for people. It lines up with Scripture beautifully. But he said that recently he'd been praying something a little bit different yet. He began praying that they might know how much they are loved by God. That they might know how much they are loved by God. And this has been one of my prayers for my kids and, and for you, our church as well. God, I pray that, our, our, that my family, our church, everyone here, everyone listening today may know how much you love them. And may that truth then overflow into our lives. Christmas is the day that we celebrate this good news of great joy for all the people. Christmas highlights the love of God, that God came down to us in all of our sin, into our rebellion, into our brokenness and our shame. He entered into our suffering. He entered into our struggles, our fears, our longings. He came because he loves us. Jesus is the light that shines in the darkness. He is the hope for the hurting. He is the abounding love for those who feel unloved. He is the open arms for all those who feel rejected and alone. He is the strength for the weary. And my hope and my prayer is that as you go through the rest of your day, through your week, through this next year, that you may know the love of God that he has for you. Let's pray together. Thank you, Heavenly Father, for who you are. That you saw fit to come down into this world to show us your love, to show us who you are, to save us from our sin. 
And Lord, I pray for everyone here, Lord, that I pray that, that we might know how much you love us. I pray that you would sink that truth deep down into our hearts, Lord. And I pray that you would transform us, that you would create in us to be a people that would then extend that to people in our lives. We pray this, Lord, for your glory. Amen.